This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. Last week was a momentous week here in Michigan. As everybody listening to this program knows, we discussed it with our guests. We had two very important events on Tuesday, April 7th. The Michigan legislature met in an extraordinary session in the state capitol in Lansing. There's never been anything like it in all of Michigan history. Members of the state house of representatives came in in platoons over three hours to check in wearing face masks. In the Senate, they wore face masks, no platoons, and they were widely dispersed on the Senate floor. They took a vote on ratifying the extension of Governor Whitmer's emergency, state of emergency powers order that she issued last month until April 30th, even though she wanted them to extend it until June 16th claiming that they didn't even need to meet in Lansing at all. She had the power to do that. They said, no, you don't. We have to agree to what you want to do, and we're only extending it until April 30th. And then they recessed until April 30th. Now, that is the next key date, April 30th. What will happen on that day? Because that's when Governor Gretchen Whitmer's uh, executive order Uh, calling for stay at home, stay safe, order expires, and we'll find out whether that is extended, and if so, for how long. Uh, That is the next piece of business before us that really makes sense. The other big event last week, of course, was Thursday, April 9th, and that was the day that the governor actually extended the stay home, stay safe order through April 30th. She wanted to extend the overall state of emergency until June 16th, and they made that expire on April 30th as well. So April 30th is going to be a big day. Now, uh, what happened this past week, this week? Well, there was one huge event. On Wednesday, Operation Gridlock tied up Lansing City streets between 3,000 and 4,000 pickup trucks, 18-wheelers and cars jammed Lansing streets leading the state capitol on Wednesday afternoon to protest Governor Gretchen Whitmer's executive orders that significantly limit social movement to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. That is the order that will expire at this point, it appears, on April 30th unless the governor declares she has unilateral power to extend it by herself without the legislature. Now, this demonstration on Wednesday was the biggest such demonstration in more than seven years, since December of 2012, when Right to Work was enacted by the Michigan legislature, signed into law by Governor Rick Snyder, and there were protests, particularly by labor unions and the Democratic Party, And there was a mass demonstration around the Capitol in December of 2012. Operation Gridlock certainly matched that in size. The line of horn-blowing vehicles 
stretched two to three miles down Michigan Avenue past the Lansing City limits to the Frandor shopping area, according to one police account. Impeach Whitmer, save our small businesses, legalize freedom, and shut up half Whitmer, were some of the kinder phrases soaped onto the windows of cars or taped onto car doors as drivers willingly sat in immovable traffic. That's according to the MERS Information Research Service newsletter. This backlash from the demonstrators had cars lined up on Interstate 496 exit ramps leading into Lansing. It was spurred after Whitmer's latest extension of her stay safe, stay home order. With roughly 80% of COVID-19 cases centered around Macomb, Oakland, and Way Counties, that's in the southeastern corner of the state, Metro Detroit, it's called by most people, outstate residents in the other 80 counties in Michigan, hoped the governor would ease the restrictions that had shut down all but a limited number of businesses. Instead, she expanded the list of what cannot be purchased at the store to gardening supplies and paint. The move came with spring, as we know, just around the corner, even though it's been snowing in Lansing at the end of this week. She also banned people from driving to visit others for two days before the Easter holiday. It was three weeks into being cooped up at home. An estimated quarter of the state's workforce is without a job, and many are struggling to get unemployment benefits on an overloaded state website. In other words, the proverbial kettle blew. And on Wednesday, the steam came out. Now, meanwhile, Joe Biden, former vice president, the putative nominee of the Democratic Party for president this year to be confirmed in August, at the Democrats' national convention in Milwaukee. Well, he called Gretchen Whitmer, quote, one of the most talented people in the country, unquote. Quote, one of the most talented people in the country. Well, Michigan obviously is still waiting for proof of that. As it is, you can make a case that Governor Whitmer's first 16 months as governor have been, by almost any measurement, a failure. She has not fixed the damn roads. In fact, she vetoed hundreds of millions of dollars the legislature center that would have taken some small initial steps toward renovating crumbling infrastructure. And I'll tell you something, folks. Fix the damn roads is dead. It's not going to happen at this point in Governor Whitmer's tenure as governor, at least the first (laughs) and maybe the only four years of her term, unless... She's bailed out by the federal government, ironically enough. Unless there's some huge infrastructure bonanza that comes out of Congress and President Trump from Washington because they print money down there. They don't care about debt. They've piled up trillions in debt, as you know, but they'll keep doing it and they'll push money out for various purposes to the states, particularly now to fight coronavirus. And if infrastructure is one of the ways they want to do that, maybe That would bail Michigan out. But Michigan is not going to be able to come up with the money at this point to fix the damn roads. That's dead. We have lost nearly $3 billion in state revenue already in this fiscal year. 
because of the coronavirus response. And we're going to lose a lot more. Uh, She has built up a huge bonded indebtedness over decades by herself without the consent of the legislature to try to fix the damn roads. That's not going to fix the damn roads either in the short term or I would bet you in the long term. She damaged the frail relationship she had with the Republican-controlled legislature by making a shambles of the state budget for the current fiscal year with a record number of ill-advised line-item vetoes and interdepartmental transfers. In the face of the coronavirus pandemic, she was slow to request a major disaster designation by the federal government for Michigan. When she finally issued her stay home, stay safe order that we've been talking about, it was draconian and it had a one size fits all approach when it was already apparent that some 78% of all the documented cases of coronavirus and 85% of the deaths have been in densely populated Metro Detroit and those three counties, Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb, that I mentioned earlier, while the remaining 80 counties have recorded less than 20% of COVID-19 cases. Michigan, by the way, has four times as many cases of coronavirus as neighboring Ohio, which has nearly 20% more people living there. I'll be back in a minute with our first guest. We're going to talk more about one of the ramifications of the response to coronavirus and more after that. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are very lucky to have a special guest with us on the other line. She is State Senator Ruth Johnson, Republican of Holly, representing the 14th Senate District, which is most of northern Oakland County and southern Genesee County. And she has an incredible record of elected office. I mean, she was an Oakland County commissioner. She was a three-term state representative. She was the elected Oakland County clerk. She was the nominee for lieutenant governor in 2006. She was elected twice as secretary of state in 2010 and 2014, served eight years. And now she is a state senator and she is chair of the Senate Elections Committee. Welcome to the Political Insider, Senator Ruth Johnson. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. But first and foremost, I'm ordinary and I'm a mom. (laughs) That's more important than anything I just said to most of the people listening to this program. Thank you for that. But let me just ask you, uh, I am very confused, and I'll bet you our listeners are too. Uh, There's supposed to be an election next month, early May. We've got like three state election dates set for the rest of the year, May, August, and November. But there is so much going on with this coronavirus response. Uh, There's real question about whether that election even should be held, and if so, under what circumstances? And then what about the filing deadline for candidates at a time when for candidates who need petition signatures, you can't go out and collect them because you're supposed to stay home, stay safe? 
I mean, couldn't they be allowed to cast filing fees? I'm just going to ask you, Senator Johnson, how do you look at things right now? Oh, um, lack of communication and lack of consistency coming out of the administration. And I think um, if you really want to give people peace of mind, you want to feel like somebody's in charge doing the right things, you have to be consistent. You have to make sure people have an opportunity to vote without risking their lives. And uh, I've written many letters, both the governor and the secretary of state, of which I get no response to. And so um, you're, you're, you're absolutely right on the uh, signatures. They're due by April 21st to uh, run for such as things as judicial offices, but you can't go out and get signatures. So uh, what will ultimately happen if that's not changed to a date that can actually be accomplished, then the governor will get those appointments. So it really is uh, by not letting people know, or could be, an end run around having people be able to vote, which I I think is a pretty significant um, thing to happen in our society, to have it taken away based on the fact that we are in a crisis. People are concentrating on other things. They have busy lives. And this is something that most people don't know about, and they should know about it. You may have your opportunity to have your voice heard on something as important as that. But it it, it goes much further than that. Um, The Secretary of State sent out um, a notice of cancellation of all their one-on-one appointments. They stopped having the congregation of people come some time ago, but there was a one-on-one. The governor has predicted that this virus will peak right around Election Day, which is May 5th, and um, any time between about now and the 14th of next month. The election's right on the 5th, so it's right in that apex. And the uh, Secretary of State hypocritically has canceled uh, her one-on-one appointments for people to come to the branch offices to uh, get the business done that they need. So she's protecting her people, but she's continuing to push for our 200 clerks and all those patriots that are um, precinct and election workers and absentee counting board people to go ahead with this May 5th election. They're largely school bonds. Um, actually, um, John Gleason from Genesee County, I spoke with him, and we worked on trying to move our school elections, and we were successful in all the schools in Oakland County, but unfortunately a number of um, schools have decided to go forward with it, uh, despite the fact that we both called and tried to get them to change their minds. So um, we have 200 clerks that will be working at this time. They don't want to. They're being forced to work. There's some um, notion out there that some people are saying, well, they chose to. They did not choose to. I'll tell you that. I have clerks that tell me I can't get work. And even if I could, why would I put my friends in this position during the the, uh, apex of of a global pandemic? And by the way, the average age of our precinct workers are 72. They're at very high risk. 16 other states have acknowledged this and taken action. They've delayed their elections to protect democracy. If you don't uh, vote absentee, which Wisconsin pushed very hard and has had absentee, no reason absentee for some time, Chicago pushed very hard hard to have people vote absentee, but uh, the Wisconsin plan is the Michigan plan, which is you can have one super precinct. One super precinct means you're going to have congregation of people. You're going to have that one-on-one that we're trying to stay away from. And yes, Michigan is pushing hard for uh, no reason absentee, which is legal, but uh, they did in Wisconsin too. And in, when you you look at it, Michigan has eight times more COVID cases than Wisconsin. We're their third highest state for deaths 
our mail delivery system's not going well, and that's what happened in Wisconsin, too. Thousands thousands of um, ballots were found that weren't delivered, so people's voices weren't heard. And and then if somebody doesn't get around to knowing that the mail's running late, send it in, they'll go to the polls. It, 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 the, the hypocrisy here to have the strictest in-shelter rules for all of us in the state, to have the one-on-one appointments stopped at the Michigan um, Secretary of State branch offices uh, for one-on-one, and continue with an election that will expose our election workers that are at such high risk, and also the public. Um, in Wisconsin, they're having a hard time tracking down all the different people that might be exposed. They're still doing that in Chicago. They have one death and and a number of infections. And even if it's absentee, it's an assembly line process. And uh, I wrote two weeks ago to um, the Secretary of State. I had my staff do it because I wasn't getting responses from my letters. And I want to know what the workers are going to get if we're going to continue with this election. I need to know what kind of personal protection equipment, what's the protocols. We know it can live on paper and cardboard for 24 hours. How do you handle that? How do you protect people? And and there's a failure, a 100% failure of communication. So it's it's been a, it's been a real problem for me. So the Secretary of State is pushing for this election, and the governor refuses to change her um, executive order that says every jurisdiction has to have at least one location open. They can't get staff, so there'll be one in a congregation of people. But so they're not protecting our election workers or the voters, and really our system of democracy, because if you didn't take time to vote absentee or you're afraid it's not going to get there, you just throw it on the China cabinet with everything going on, forget, who's going to go to the polls? Well, Senator Ruth Johnson, haven't you called for the May 5th election to be scrapped and just consolidated with the August election? Has there been any response from the governor on that? What's going on? This is a simple solution, Bill. All you have to do is move the May election to August. Not a big problem. Uh, It is John Gleason, the clerk of Genesee, that came up with the idea that schools would be able to collect the same amount of money in the shorter months, the short amount of months that, that they would have to get the money in. So it would hold the schools whole and it wouldn't cost taxpayers any more money. By then, we'll have protocols put in place and the workers will have personal protection equipment without taking it away from doctors, nurses, first responders, wow. people that work in jails, people yeah. that are selling groceries. We need to wait. It's we can hold the schools whole. We have everyone in this. There'll be 1,600 uh, clerks that will be conducting elections uh, on uh, in uh, August and November, and uh, we can combine those elections easily. I hear you, Ruth Johnson. Thank you so much. I wish we could talk longer. You have so much to say. You've been very insightful and informative. Thank you, Senator Ruth Johnson. Thank you, Bill. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have a very insightful and experienced guest. He is John Truscott, and he is a former press secretary, communications director for former Governor John Engler. But for the last couple of decades, uh, he has built his firm, Truscott Rossman public relations firm into a powerhouse public relations firm in Lansing. He is the CEO of Truscott Rossman, and he is also vice chair of the Michigan Capital Commission. And John Truscott, welcome to the Political Insider. Great to be with you, Bill. Okay, now look, 
I want to ask you about this huge demonstration on Wednesday at the Capitol uh, and uh, what you thought of it. Uh, I know you looked at it. You watched it. uh, You must have some feelings about it. And uh, I noticed uh, horses galloping around the Capitol grounds. And I can't imagine that makes you feel too comfortable about what that might do to the landscape surrounding the Capitol. So, John Truscott, what do you think? Yeah, I would say fortunately it was still pretty cold, so the ground is probably hard enough to to withstand it. But I'm sure that the the folks who do our landscaping and lawn maintenance were cringing a little bit about that. <laughs> you know, overall, our, our goal with the Capitol Commission, obviously, is to honor people's First Amendment right to protest, to speak their mind. In a normal time when we're not closed, we will provide, people can rent the audiovisual equipment, the speakers and, and the things like that. And we have staff that will help them set up to have their opinions, you know, broadcast or, or known to the public that's there. We obviously couldn't do that this time, but for the most part, I didn't get any reports that anybody was disrespectful or causing any problems. We have had some times, you know, in, in recent years where people spray painted and, and defaced the building and we try to get that as cleaned up as, as quickly as possible. But this time, you know, it was people speaking their minds. Um, Most people stayed in their cars on the street, and I know that the protest organizers were imploring people, stay in your car, do the right thing. But, um, you know, overall, it it got a lot of attention. I think the the people who put it on had to be pleased with the result. And on the Capitol Commission's perspective, we were pleased. People were were respectful. And afterwards, there was no damage to speak of. Well, what about the demonstration as a political event? What did it represent to you? What do you think it signified, and what was its impact on the decision makers in the state capitol? Governor Whitmer, obviously the chief among them. You know, these are obviously times that nobody has experienced before. Um, I think this protest represented some frustration uh, on the part of people. When I look back at the, the governor's first executive order, I think everybody pretty much recognized this was the right thing to do. We do have to distance ourselves. We do have to work from home and do some things to reduce the spread. The second executive order, I don't think it was crafted properly, so it resulted in some arbitrary rules that just didn't make sense to people. And part of the what you have to do as a leader in a crisis is make sure you're explaining to people what you're doing, why you're doing it, and and everything is just moving so fast. I don't think the governor had an opportunity to do that. So the frustration just just kind of boiled over because in in people's minds, the order, the way it's written now, the second order, just didn't make any common sense to people. So you know, we, we'll see what happens on uh, April 30th if the go- if the legislature decides to extend the governor's authority or what she decides to do. The words that are coming uh, out after yesterday and. The things she said this morning are very encouraging, that she's going to start to relax on some of the restrictions. So hopefully that takes some of the frustration out of it. The characterization of the demonstration on Wednesday by the news media to a great extent and others, obviously, in social media, was that this was a Trump rally, that there were a lot of right-wing people, there were Confederate flags, Uh, There was a lot of anti-Whitmer rhetoric, and these people 
maybe are not to be taken seriously. Do you think that's a fair characterization, or were there a lot of, as you say, frustrated, let's say, business owners who have been hamstrung uh, by the governor's executive order in the last couple of weeks, and uh, they were there not as political partisans, but just in outrage uh, against the executive order? You know, I think the media likes to focus on the, the Trump aspect and the Trump flags because it's easy. It makes a simple narrative. But I tell you, I'm talking to dozens of people, small business owners every day who are so frustrated because if this doesn't end, if they can't start to, to get some revenue flowing again, they'll be done. Uh, they will have to close. And, and think of the, the long-term impact on the economy if, if that happens, if you're taking those jobs out and that tax revenue out. That, those are things that will take years, if not decades, to come back from. So, you know, I, I think there was a mix at the rally. I do think that there were a lot of just concerned citizens who showed up who may not be political in nature, who just, they wanted an outlet. They're stuck at home. They, they wanted something to do. They just wanted to know somebody was listening. So take, you know, set aside the political part, which definitely was part of it. Um, I think a lot of people just wanted to be heard. John Truscott, you mentioned April 30th. I agree with you completely. That's going to be D-Day, I think. Uh, Whether the governor decides she wants to try and extend the stay-home, stay-safe order and or the legislature gets its back up and says you're not going to do it and uh, tries to end it, and then what happens? What do you predict? Do you have any feeling? You know, if, if I were in the governor's seat right now, I would be working very closely with the legislature, and I think that's something that's been overlooked up until now. There is not a close working relationship on how we come out of this uh, yet at this point. Um, there are two different laws that you're going to want to look at. There's one that the legislature has been operating under that gives them the authority to set and extend the, extend the time frame of the governor's emergency declaration and her authority under this. But there's also a law from the 1940s, which the governor said she will utilize to automatically, and it gives her sole authority uh, to extend as she sees fit. I think that could set up a real big court battle, uh, and not only that, but a really serious political battle in the state. My opinion, my advice would be sit down with the legislature. If you need an extension of a week or two, lay out for them exactly what you intend to do and put that in whatever the, the legislature passes. So, you know, if we're going to slowly open the, the landscape companies and open the stores back up to sell everything and, and allow people to buy landscape, or landscaping, uh, lawn equipment, flowers, things like that, spell it out so everybody's on the same page. I think the legislature is very reasonable in this, and if you communicate with them and they know where you're going so they can explain it to their constituents, they will be reasonable as well, and then slowly open things back up. But if she comes and says, give me two weeks or 30 days or whatever it is, and I have sole authority, I cannot see the legislature giving her that. That sounds very reasonable to me. Uh, There is a spat that's developed already within the legislature because uh, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky came out yesterday and said, well, we've got a plan. We Senate Republicans in the majority to open up businesses, uh, five phases. But meanwhile, there's a bipartisan committee under the chairmanship, I think, of uh, Senator Ken Horn, working right. with Jim Ananick, the Democratic leader, uh, trying to come up with a consensus approach by the legislature. And, and this bipartisan committee says, well, where did this shirky <laughs> Senate Republican plan come from? You know, uh, what's going on? 
Uh, so, you know, what do you think about that? And how does that impact what the governor might do, if anything? You know, I, I think what they're doing is getting her a roadmap that's reasonable. It It's very similar and consistent with what the president laid out yesterday as far as the three phases. I think it's, it's consistent with what you're going to see other states doing. So the dynamic that this sets up here is if all of our surrounding states start to follow this protocol and loosen up and we're not there with them uh, as far as timing within a couple of days. And I will say the Detroit situation is really bad. So we have a different dynamic in Michigan and in a particular region of Michigan that the other states aren't dealing with. But if we're not following closely in terms of the protocols that the other states are doing, you're going to see another rally like we saw the other day uh, at the Capitol. People are ready. I think most people are willing to comply with the orders and things that we need to do and to be safe. Okay, we want to hear more from John Truscott, and we will. Just stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with John Truscott, who is the CEO of Truscott Rossman Public Relations Firm in Lansing, and he is vice chairman of the Michigan Capital Commission. We've talked about uh, that earlier in the show, but I want to ask John Truscott, um, this is kind of an odd little question I have, but, you know, some public bodies like school boards and city councils have tried to conduct meetings uh, online. They've tried to do it by video, and there's been some question about uh, the public comment period at these meetings yeah. and who gets on <laughs> online and starts talking. And, and because it's almost getting to be like social media, you're getting a lot of nasty comments from people that they wouldn't probably make in a public forum if, if they right. were in person. <laughs> and so the public bodies have adopted rules and people are screaming, this is a violation of the Open Meetings Act. What do you think about all this? Um, well, th- those people that are screaming are probably right. Uh, there have been a number of municipalities that, in their haste to try to transition to this so that they can still conduct their business, do it appropriately and everything, have been uh, either missing or ignoring the public comment uh, period, and they can't do that. And even the attorney general's office and some of the experts there, but uh, even though this is online and over various electronic means, you still have to have a public comment period. So they're trying to be, in the Attorney General's office, helpful in guiding local governments in terms of how to do this. Um, so, you know, this has all happened so quickly that there hasn't been the time to adjust or anybody to set up these are the rules and what you do. But I think that local governments are, are adapting pretty quickly and going forward will not make the mistake of, ignoring the open meeting rules. They still apply no matter if it's in person or electronic. Let me ask you about your own business, uh, Truscott yeah. Rossman Public Relations. I mean, what impact has the coronavirus and the response to it had on your business? What do you see out there that's totally different than anything you've seen before? Yeah, well, and, and we have an office. Uh, we just moved into a new office in Detroit in Eastern Market. 
So, you know, a lot of people walking around, very heavily trafficked area. It's a beautiful space in a great part of town. But we have a number of people there, and we have an office in downtown Grand Rapids as well. So we're in the, the urban centers of Michigan. Um, we were actually one of the, we we shut down our office in Lansing before anybody else sort of working from home. We had a staff member who had been traveling and had some of the symptoms. Turned out to be negative, but we didn't know for about a week. So I, I made sure that everybody was working from home about a week or two before the governor's first executive order. In terms of the overall business, it's made us more valuable to a lot of our clients. Um, we have a lot of healthcare-related clients, some financial institutions, and then you know a number of people that um, work with government or around government who are affected. And that this crisis has brought us much closer with them. There are some clients who basically have had to shut down; they've closed, so there's there's not a lot going on. But I tell you, um, most of the, the recent weeks, we've been just as busy uh, as we were before all this hit. And we're actually doing very, very well uh, as, a, as a firm. Uh, I've affirmed to our staff that uh, I plan to keep everybody on. Uh, we're making the financial decisions that we need to make to keep continuing operating. Uh, our expenses have gone down. I'm not driving nearly as much as I was <laughs> uh, and, and things like that. But um, we're, we're doing, you know, thanks for asking because this is a, a primary concern that uh, any business owner would, would go through. And there are a lot of people that are, that are hurting right now. But fortunately, we're, we're doing really well. We're very strong financially. Um, always looking for a little more work uh, for our folks because it is a little different. But um, we're, we're keeping in touch and we're hanging in there. John Truska, switching gears for a minute here, the state budget, uh, I mean, it's taking an enormous hit from this. And, I mean, I think Fix the Damn Roads is gone for good, isn't it? Unless we're bailed out by the federal government uh, or something. I mean, what do you think going forward? Well, you know, it's interesting. The president has talked about an infrastructure stimulus and things like that. So maybe maybe the president will come through and, and fix our roads. I mean, I Gretchen Whitmer but, rescued by Donald Trump. Would she like that? Uh, you know, I think, I think she'd take it any way that she could get it done. But it would be kind of the ultimate irony. But I do think, you know, we're looking at anywhere between a billion and a $3 billion shortfall. It's going to have a devastating impact on the state budget. And it's one of the reasons we need to get back operating very, very quickly to get that tax revenue flowing again, because we're going to be in in very difficult shape. I think anybody that was looking to increase funding for their programs, that's probably off this year, next year, and maybe the following year as we try to recover and, and dig our way out. Again, unless there's some sort of federal bailout um, at some point. But this is going to be a very difficult budget year, and it's, it's why I always would encourage leaders to sit down and work together because we've got this crisis on one side that's demanding so much attention. But you can't forget about the state budget and working with the legislature on that. They have a very short window when we come out of this to get that, that budget done, and the relationship is frayed. So it's going to be very difficult. John Truscott, I'm going to switch gears again. Now, Joe Biden has said he's going to pick a female running mate. And there are three key states for Joe Biden, as everybody knows, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And among the nine top statewide elected officials covering those three states, that's governor and two U.S. senators, Mm -hmm. only three are women. Okay, in those three states, 
Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, and somebody that nobody talks about, Debbie Stabenow, U.S. Senator. And I have been curious why nobody has ever mentioned Debbie Stabenow as a possible running mate. Now, is it just an age thing? Because I think she's probably now in her early 70s, and everybody just assumes there has to be a generation gap between Joe Biden, who, as we know, is in his upper 70s, or what? Because Debbie Stabenow is a far more, uh, I would say, plausible uh, based on her track record over a long period of time, politician in office with a record and a solid record than Gretchen Whitmer. Why not Debbie Stabenow? That's a really good question. Uh, and <laughs> with her experience at, at multiple layers from local government, county commission, all the way on up right. to the U.S. Senate, and, and now in a leadership position in the Senate, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, when you look at a vice president who presides over uh, the the U.S. Senate is kind of the president of the body. Uh, having somebody with those relationships and that experience could be very valuable, uh, as it was with Joe Biden as as vice president. Right. Um, I don't know if the age thing is is factoring in here or not. I can see, you know, if I were advising him, I would to offset his age. I would have somebody who's very youthful, very energetic, and um, could easily step in if, if something happened, but just showing that kind of diversity on the stage would be helpful. Um, I think for, you know, I've always been of the opinion that, that the first one to kind of stick their head up, uh, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. The media just <laughs> loves to devastate that, that person that, that kind of peaks early, yeah. whether it's running for president or the names for vice president. And I, I think that's what's happened to Governor Whitmer. She got out her name was mentioned early, and everybody started just, just pounding on her. Wow. Okay, I'm going to switch the subject again, John Truscott, and that is the scheduled May 5th election. Should that be postponed until August? I mean, this is a looming disaster. I mean, filing deadlines are coming up for candidates for the August primary. You can't collect signatures with a stay-home, stay-safe order that you're operating under uh, shouldn't candidates for the judiciary and let's say Congress uh, be allowed to just cast filing fees. I mean, this is a mess, isn't it? It, It's a complete mess. And when you look at most election workers tend to be retirees because they're the ones that have time to go sit there. So they're, they're in the more more vulnerable uh, position of our population. But I'm, I'm of the opinion that government has to keep operating. We cannot, just change the rules in the middle of the game on everybody. So come up with some extra precautions with, you know, the screens like we're seeing in all of the stores right now, the shields uh, in front of the tellers. Do that for the, the poll workers. Have uh, just tons of, of masks if they're available and hand sanitizer and everything else. This is going to be the way we're going to have to operate for the foreseeable future. Implement it now so people are with it, but we cannot uh, change the way our government operates and change the rules in the middle of the game to do something so completely different. So if we want to maintain our democracy and our way of life, we have to have some normalcy going forward. Well, listen, I wish we could talk about this more. It is so confusing, so puzzling, so many questions, so many answers we need. But John Truscott has given us a lot of answers. Thank you so much, John Truscott. You did a great job. Thanks, Bill. It's always a pleasure. 
We'll be back next week with more. 